Please do so and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We want to consider verse 7 this morning of Exodus 20. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, I think if you would just grab that one from the pew in front of you and turn to page nah, 61 or someone like somewhere like that, that would get you to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Thank you guys for leading us this morning in singing these songs of praises to our God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. You have, you have told us in your word that you have exalted your name and your word above all things. And so, Father, may we continue our worship this morning now as we look at your word. May we behold wonderful things of you from your word. May, may our hearts treasure the, the very name of the God who has made us and now in Christ Jesus has redeemed us. So help us, Father, in these next moments. Help us to worship you by considering your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at these ten words or ten commandments, um, a command or a word at a time. We overviewed them and now we're looking at them and we're now at the third word. Remember, these are words of a father to a son. These are, these are instructions on how to live, but yet, yet saying that, these are not instructions on how to live that we might redeem ourselves. No, these were instructions originally given to a redeemed people. These were the people who had been rescued from Egyptian slavery, and now they were being given the, the generous, kind instructions from God so as to know how to live as God's redeemed people. Two things I want us to consider this morning, following the same outline we've done for the first two words. I first want to lean into this third commandment to understand it better, understanding the Redeemer's third word, and then, which we'll probably spend the most of our time on that, um, and then we'll spend maybe a, a skosh of time uh, taking a look at how we could practice or apply this Redeemer's third word. Now, this third word continues to explore what it looks like for people like you and I to love the Lord God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. The, the, the first word explained to us that loving God requires exclusivity, that, that we would have no other gods uh, to steal our affections or our loyalties from the one true God. The, the second word last week um, explains to us that loving God requires that we worship Him on His own terms, that we, that we approach Him and worship Him and think of Him 
as uh, he reveals himself and as he requires uh, that we worship him and, and not simply as we prefer or as we decide. And now this third word explains that loving God requires uh, that we live toward this one true God with an earnest prominency toward Him, that He is prominent in our hearts and in our lives and in all that we are and all that we do. He is prominent in our thoughts, that He is prominent in our feelings and affections, that He is prominent in how we talk, and that He is prominent in what we do. And, and while we're looking at this third world, third word through the lens of the, of the uh, old covenant that God gave to the nation of Israel, um, we, we will trace the importance and the uh, duration and the, endurance, the enduring value of this third word throughout the scriptures. So as we look at this uh, third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, I, I want us to kind of dissect that and pull that apart. First of all, I just want us to mull over what's the significance of using the, the name. I mean, um, why did he say, do not take the name of the Lord in vain? And why didn't he just simply say, we shouldn't take the Lord in vain? Well, when we eventually get there, we'll realize it's probably not, not much different. Uh, and, and yet there's significance on why he invokes us to not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, to, to understand that better, uh, I want us to go back and forth for a minute in the book of Exodus. I want, to, I want us to go back for a second. Remember in chapter 3 when the Lord appears to Moses and begins to, to uh, share with Moses the plans that the Lord has that includes Moses, uh, how the Lord has heard the cries of his people and uh, he is going to send Moses back to Egypt and uh, the Lord is going to rescue his people from Egyptian captivity and he's going to deploy Moses in a significant way to do just that. And uh, Moses uh, begins to kind of uh, backpedal on this. And, 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 and um, one of the things that Moses inquires about, he says, now, when I get back there and I tell the Israelites that you've sent me to rescue them, um, what shall I tell them is your name? And, 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 it, and it's, it's in that context uh, that we, 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 we learn something very significant about the Lord as he reveals himself through the character and nature of his name. And remember his answer, it's, it's in Exodus 3, verses 13, 14, and 15. He says, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Okay, that was a verb. And then, he, then he, he kind of shifts that verb into a, a noun, if you would, and he continues to say, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
When he says, I am who I am, tell him the I am has sent you. And then he couples that in the next verse with the Lord. I would point out to you that when you read that term Lord in uh, Exodus 3.15, that is not merely a, a title or a designation of someone who is like a master or a king. It doesn't mean Lord in that way. It's, in fact, you might notice that most of our English translations um, spell that with all caps. So this is, this is more than just simply the title of a Lord. This is the express particular name of the God who says, I am that I am. He is the, he is the one who is self-existing. He is the one who is self-defining. He is the one who is self-determining. He is the one who always was who presently is and who always will be. Uh, and and he, he says, that I, and I'm going to tell you the name that I gave to myself and the name that I gave to myself, I'm going to now share that with you. That, that, that I am the one who is absolutely sovereign over all things. I am, I am above and independent of all things, and yet all things are utterly dependent upon me. And yet while I am above all things and sovereign over all things, uh, I am nevertheless the God who enters into covenant relationship with a people. You see, the name of God, Yahweh, is the name of God revealed here in Exodus 3. The name of, of Yahweh represents the character and the person and the presence of God. But then he goes on, and now I'm going to like leapfrog over Exodus 20 for a moment. And fast forward to Exodus 34 for a second, because it reveals some more descriptions about Yahweh, the name of the one true God. You remember in Exodus 34, uh, Moses uh, had asked the Lord, he said, Lord, would you show me your glory? And upon that request, here's what is recorded. It says in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord has given his name to the people of Israel. The Lord has even unveiled more description and more character and more detail of who he is to Moses here in Exodus 34. The Lord has shared his personal name with his people so that his people, so that you and I, even right now here today, could have his name, could take on his name, and could use his name. 
In other words, the Lord has given us himself. He has given us his presence. All that he is is, is, is now something he has gifted to us, and, and, and that is typified, that is signified by the fact that then we get to know who he is by name. This is a, this is a precious thing. This is a sweet reality. The world knows him simply as God. But we get to know his first name. We get to be the people who get and who are given his name. The, the book of Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord, in other words, the, it, it's, it's speaking of the Lord himself. To give earnest prominence to the name of the Lord is to essentially, functionally, give earnest prominence to the Lord himself. Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by my name. Or in Numbers chapter 6, in the context of, I don't know if you remember the thing called the, the, uh, the blessing of Aaron, where the Lord says to Moses to say to Aaron, to say to the people, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, it's in that context that then we read verse 27 where it says, So they, speaking of, of the priests, Aaron, so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I shall bless them. We've been given his name, and we are to take that name along with us. We are to rightly use that name so that we are the people who would trust in the name of our Lord because we realize that our confidence is in the Lord, that we would be the people who would call upon the name of the Lord, because we are the people who know that the Lord is our help and our strength. We would be the people who understand that we are saved by the name of the Lord, because we recognize that the Lord is, in fact, our Redeemer and our salvation. So we've been given the name of the Lord to use, to properly use the name of the Lord. And so to properly use it means that we would use it to praise the name of the Lord, for, for we want the Lord to be praised. We would be the people who would give thanks to the name of the Lord, for we are the people who are grateful to the Lord. The Lord's name is to be prominent in our hearts and souls. It is to be precious in our hearts and souls. It is to be preciously prominent to us. For God wants his name to be known, and he wants his name to be used. Yet, he wants his name to be known and used accurately. 
He wants his name to be known and used properly. Not, not just in the way we talk, although that is a significant part of how we would rightly know and use the name of the Lord. But I would suggest to you that taking the name of the Lord in vain is much broader and larger than just simply using it wrongly or inappropriately in our speech. It certainly includes that, but I would suggest to you it's much more significant and to be broadly understood than that. And so when we use it wrongly, when we know the name of the Lord incorrectly, then we are using it in vain. What does that mean? Well, uh, I, the word vain in this context, I think, it could probably connote a, a couple of various things. Um, to use something in vain is to treat it as trivial. To use something in vain would be to treat it as not worth much. Uh, to, to treat it in vain would be to use it as though it's just empty. There's nothing there to it. To use it in vain would be to use it falsely. So think about that. Think about that not simply in how we talk, but first and foremost, since, since the, the words that we express, where do those words come from? They come from our hearts. And so if we want to use the, the name of the Lord uh, fruitfully and effectively in our speech, uh, we must first purpose to cherish the name of the Lord in our hearts and in our souls. For out of the, out of the, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. In other words, the, as we think about the name of the Lord, we, we think about how valuable the Lord is. And, and yet, anything that we would uh, treasure in our hearts as more valuable than the Lord means that we are treating the Lord and His Word as worthless. We are taking it in vain. Think about the Lord and think about the name of the Lord. Uh, the Lord is, is the originator of all life. All life is hinged upon His life. The Lord is, in other words, full of life. And, 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 and yet, if we treat um, the Lord who is full of life as anything less than that, we treat Him as though it is, He is empty. We treat His name as though it means nothing. The Lord who is more real and more true than anything else in the universe. If to treat it, the, the name of the Lord in vain is to treat the Lord and his name as being unreal and false. The Lord who is more crucial and significant than anything else in the universe, when we treat him as something less than most crucial and significant, is that we treat him as though he is trivial. Now, who would do that? Who would treat the Lord as though He is trivial and worthless and empty and false? Who would do that to His precious name? Who would take His name in vain, regard it as trivial and worthless and empty and false? Who would do that? The very people who 
were given these instructions. That's who would do that. And yet he warns in verse 7, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I find Ezekiel's commentary on this matter very intriguing, very important for us to understand in terms of grasping the Scriptures in this area. Ezekiel prophesied some almost a thousand years after Moses penned these words. So a thousand years later, and what I don't mean by that is it took a thousand years for them to to do what they were now being accused of doing. What I'm saying is that for a thousand years, this is how they've been rolling. For a thousand years, they've been taking the name of the Lord in vain, which illustrates something the Lord said about Himself, that He is slow to anger. But but hear hear what Ezekiel says. This is in the context of Judah uh, has begun being taken into Babylonian captivity, and, and, and that's really an example of how the Lord was not holding them guiltless for what they had done. And he says in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 21, he says, I had concern for my holy name. The name he gave to himself, the name he shared preciously with his people. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations. Profaned. Trash talked. Treated as trivial and worthless and empty and false. So Ezekiel continues. In other words, he continues to these people who were given this word to not take the name of the Lord in vain, but who now are being indicted by the Lord on charges of having profaned the name of the Lord, and who therefore are recipients of the promise, the warning of Exodus 27, that the Lord will not hold guiltless him who takes the name of the Lord in vain. And so he continues in Ezekiel 36, and he says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but it is for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. He says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations. And so here we find toward the end of the unfolding of the Old Testament, we find the people of Israel, in fact, reaping the consequences, the just judgment of having been a people in their thousand-year history of consistently, regularly, habitually taking the name of the Lord in vain, profaning 
the name of the Lord. Now, it may sound like an odd place to do this, but I'm done with the first point now. How's that for a slick transition? I'm going to pivot and take us to the second point, or I'll never get there. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I was told there's a football game later on. So we've we got we to kind of, you know, pull some fourth quarter um, comeback here and uh, try to get out of this sermon. So what does the Lord say? Don't take, my, don't take my name in vain. And what have God's people done? They have taken the name of the Lord in vain. So as we shift from understanding the Redeemer's third word to practicing the Redeemer's third word. Well, I want to go back and set that up by reminding us of something that the Lord said in conjunction with the revealing of His name to Moses in Exodus 34. He said something that if you're following what He says, and you can, you can even look there once again if you want, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, um, as he's revealing his nature, his character, his person, uh, he said something that creates a tension if you're following. He's, he says he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Which in is it? Is the Lord a pardoning God? Or is the Lord a punishing God? And if we want to be faithful in handling the Scriptures, we would say yes. We would say yes even in the particulars of do not take the name of the Lord in vain. The Lord will in no way hold guiltless him who takes the name of the Lord in vain. How does God do this? How does God both pardon sin and punish sin? How does He do this? He does this by His name. For when we open the pages of the New Testament... As the angel is disclosing himself to Joseph, whose uh, fiancé has become with child. The angel announces to Joseph, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God is vindicating his name in the arrival of his son, Jesus. God is vindicating his name in the life that his son lives. He lives a life, well, Jesus says in in John 17, I have glorified your name. He has done that righteously, flawlessly. He has never taken the name of the Lord in vain. And yet this Jesus will be the one who will hang from the cross as a sinner, experiencing the punishment as though he had been someone who had taken the name of the Lord in vain. But therein at the cross of Christ, 
is the glorious swap out, substitution that the scriptures reveal to us. That in the name of Jesus, my punishment, your punishment, any and all of our punishments who turn to Christ, our punishment for being name profaners, our punishment for being taking the name of God in vainers. I know that's not a good sentence, but was cast upon Jesus. Every stroke of divine justice that should come your way and my way for taking the name of the Lord in vain, for not treasuring that name, not trusting that name, for not praising that name, for not adoring that name. Every ounce of justice has been placed upon our dear Savior, and He has granted to us in exchange for taking our sin upon Himself, He has granted to us His flawless, perfect, obedient righteousness. So that, as it's said in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. The way to begin practicing the third word is to flee to Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 as Jesus dies on the cross and God accepts that payment for our sin, for us being name profaners and name takers in vainers, if you would. God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and has bestowed upon Him a name that is above every name. Or in Romans 10, and maybe this is why the Lord has brought you here this morning. In Romans 10, a sweet promise. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only way that your and my guilt of profaning the name of the Lord in our words, in our lives in our attitudes, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our affections, is for us to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the irony here? Do you see the sweet irony here? What's the solution for, for escaping the guilt and the punishment of profaning the name of the Lord? The solution is to run to the name of the Lord. to flee to Jesus, to, to turn to Jesus so that all who wish to escape the just punishment of profaning the name of the Lord would turn to Jesus. All who feel the need for pardon from the guilt of using the name of the Lord in vain would flee to Jesus. And all who have, would have a desire, a wish this morning to honor the name of the Lord above all things would flee to Jesus. You see, there is no way to truly begin to practice the third word without, first of all, 
calling upon the name of Jesus. It's a name he gives to us to take and to use. It's a name that, that is placed upon us as we turn to Christ and trust only in him and follow him. And now the starting point, uh, the starting point for living in right relationship with God as our Father, the starting point for receiving the presence of God's Spirit in our lives, to, to, to receive new hearts and lives that beat for the name of, of the Lord our God, is to know Jesus, to trust in Jesus. And out of that, the new covenant standard for the old covenant third word which says do not take the name of the lord in vain paul writes to the church colossae in chapter 3 verse 17 and says and whatever you do in other words that's pretty all encompassing that's more than just simply the words that we speak but whatever you do in word or in deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, we are still to earnestly hold the name of the Lord as prominent. It's just that the name Yahweh, uh, it narrows. Yahweh was the was the revealed name of God to the old covenant people of Israel. And it turns out, as the scriptures unfold, there's actually three people who own that name Yahweh. Uh, there, there's, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. And when we get to the New Testament, we find that this community of three people who make up the, the one true God, the Godhead, that the Father sends His Son to rescue the people who have profaned the name of the Lord. So that through knowing Jesus, we have God as our Father, and we are indwelt by the very presence of the Spirit of God. We are still forbidden to take the name of the Lord in vain, even though we are fully pardoned from that. But now, but now taking the name of the Lord in vain and not wanting to do that centers around Jesus. The words we do speak, the deeds that we do do, must point to the great name of Jesus. The deeds that we do do, the words that we do say, must reflect praise for the name of Jesus. The life that we now live in all of its encompassing nooks and crannies is a, is a life that is to be lived out of an expression of gratitude to the name of Jesus. And, and, and the life that we then um, motor through in this life and the endurance needed throughout this life in a way that does honor the Lord is done out of the joy that comes to us because of the name of Jesus. Now perhaps 
this afternoon uh, or maybe at lunch or maybe this week, you'll, you'll maybe find some ways to, to revisit this and to meditate on, on practical ways that uh, we are to, in word and deed, uh, to, to, to honor the name of the Lord and not take it in vain, not profane the name of the Lord. Or, or perhaps as we resume small groups tonight, one of the things that we purpose to do in small groups is to revisit the morning sermon with a view to application. And so tonight, maybe we could parse out further what it means in our words to not take the name of the Lord in vain. It, it, or or in, in, in the way that we live, what does it mean to not take the name of the Lord in vain? But, but it even goes deeper than as we've already been alluding to. We could, we could have thoughts. We could hold on to beliefs about the name of the Lord that are vain. We could even voice our wrong, vain thoughts about the name of the Lord to others. We, we, can have, we can have convictions, and we could cultivate affections about the name of the Lord that are actually inferior to the reality of who He truly is. And yet, we who name the name of the Lord are now to be a circumspect people, out of gratitude, filled with joy, with hearts of love, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Name the name of the Lord? Then that should filter down into how you and I would purpose to live this week. There's certain things we wouldn't flirt with. There's certain things we wouldn't contemplate. There's certain places we wouldn't go. There's certain relationships we wouldn't hang on to. Why? Because we who name the name of the Lord are directed to depart from that which is iniquity. Or the way that it's said in the Old Testament prophet of Micah, for all the peoples of the earth uh, walk in the name of their God, but we will walk in the name of of our God forever and ever. In a little bit, we're going to leave. And as you leave, take the name of the Lord with you. And the sobering reality of taking the name of the Lord with you filters into then how I talk this week will either honor or dishonor my God. How I live this week where my feet take me, what my hands touch, what my eyes see, what my ears hear, will either take the name of the Lord in vain or give praise and honor and thanks to the Lord. And I close with this. There's an incredible statement in the book of Revelation, last chapter, chapter 22, verse 4, toward the end of the book which beautifully describes the destiny of all who belong to Jesus. And here's what it says. And we will see his face. That's the command from last week. And his name will be on our foreheads. Say, huh? I don't know that that's literally a tattoo, by the way. Um, I think what he is getting at, the significance of that, is 
we will truly wear the name of our God. We will completely take on his identity and his character. Father, we thank you for your word and for all that your word teaches us. We're thankful for what your word says to us about you and your name. And so now, Father, as we've spent these moments together considering these things, Father, may, may we not wander off and forget what we've heard, but even as James reminds us, as we look into the mirror of your word, may we see and remember. May we not see and forget. May we honor you with our words and with our deeds so that your name might be exalted in and through our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name.